Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. want to welcome you to this next episode of the brains magazine podcast and you know i i enjoy these so much and when i get the chance to shine the spotlight on on somebody who's achieving something uh, it's a real good ride for me and i hope it's a, a real good ride for you as well today we have dr ant dr ant is a speaker he's an author and a mindset expert and he joins me on today's brains podcast dr ant how are you i'm very well thanks mark and how are you yeah, good. Thank you. Sometimes I say I'm, you know, I'm so good I could be twins. Um, <laughs> you know, there's that there's that sense of, you know, life is an interesting one, isn't it? I always say that life is a, is a mosaic of the brutal and the beautiful and everything in between. Like I would even say that January has been quite a turbulent month, uh, and as we've entered February now, um, seems to be kind of what we can expect of life has that been kind of similar for you since uh, the turn of the year I think so Mark yeah I mean I really spent last year um, investing time in myself and, and in my future um, and getting ducks in a row to really launch uh, my new book this year which uh, hopefully we can talk about in a little bit and my whole aim really is to learn from an experience that I went through um, back in sort of 2015, 2016, which set me on this journey. Um, and since that point, it's been a kind of journey of discovery, which has led me to this year where I'm now in that really fortunate position of doing what I want, when I want, how I want, which is actually what we all want to do, really, isn't it? Um, but it's actually, it's just about helping people discover their passion, their purpose, and how to live happy and fulfilled. And I really take on board what you said just now at the very beginning about you're so happy you could be twins because I relate to that. Uh, and in fact, I relate to that so much is that we're all twins, aren't we? Because we've all got really two minds. We've got our conscious mind and our unconscious mind. You know, we've got those twins which form us as one. Uh, and those two twins, or that pair of twins, should I say, constantly in competition with each other and yeah. <laughs> trying to you know, outdo each other. And it's always the stronger one that wins. Uh, and that that is really interesting because that's what I base everything on, which I'm doing with my book, Quick Wake Up the Pilot. It's all about waking up that unconscious driver, that person that's in control of our life, that we don't often know what they're really doing, thinking, or what journey they're taking us on. Because it's always based upon learnt behaviours and habits and beliefs and stuff that's happened before. You know, and we may not want to rinse and repeat what's happened before. So we need to change what our unconscious mind is is thinking and doing to take us in a different direction. Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember somebody telling me that we are, we have two wolves. We have a black one and a grey one, uh, and the dominant one is the one that we feed the most. Yeah, isn't that true? Yeah, so you know, you're talking about like how you know, kind of elaborated on the twin thing, you know, of the the conscious and the unconscious. It's like, well, which one, which one reigns? And um, you know, obviously, you work with the brain, and I'm fascinated by the brain as well. So I'd imagine we could have quite a lot of fun around that, like, <laughs> um, especially with like beliefs and a narrative, uh, a 
and trauma response. These things are really fascinating for me, both on a personal level and and more just generic. Yeah. Um, what would you be your your thought on 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 that and elaborating maybe on that of of how do we feed uh, the stronger ones so that it can it can have dominion and and us not kind of lose ground because we're actually feeding the wrong the wrong twin. That's you know it's really interesting, Mark, and and especially for people from an ex-military background, for instance, that are dealing with those past traumas, you know. And I've worked with a few guys in the military, uh, and I see how that comes together. But the thing is, is what I've learned over my journey is that we are emotional beings, you know. And, and if we was to live our life without emotions, we wouldn't necessarily be human beings; we'd be human doings and <laughs> what I mean by that we're almost be akin to AI really we'd be like the spocks of this world because if we remove our emotions we'd become completely logical we'd be doing shall we say the right thing but that's just logical and, and we wouldn't necessarily be feeling our way through the world and <clears throat> the journey to answer your question the journey that I sort of went on was why do human beings feel I mean not just soppy feelings, but that real proper visceral gut feeling. What is it that makes a human being a human being? Why, why do we feel, really, really feel the way that we feel? Why do we do the things that we do? But most importantly, what can we do to become the version of the person that we really want to be? Um, and, and that's what I learned. It's all about that we tend to live our life on autopilot most of the time. Uh, and you know, it's scientifically proven. I've done a lot of studying of a guy called Professor Bruce Lipton. Uh, anyone listening to this, I highly recommend. He's got a book out called The Biology of Belief. And that was the turning point for me, really. That was the understanding about our beliefs, the environment, the epigenetics, the bigger stuff on the outside that affects us on the inside, how that really has an effect on who we are and what we become and what we think. And the thing that I learned from the biology of belief is that we are emotional beings and emotions are just a chemical reaction within the body. You know, and that chemical reaction is then driven by what the brain and the body tells it to do. Um, and we have to always go back to the cause. I'm a great believer, Mark. I don't know about you, but I'm a great believer in dealing with the cause, not necessarily the symptom, because the symptom always presents itself. It's like the engine management light of a car, isn't it? We wouldn't put a sticker over the engine management light on the dash and assume the problem solved, even though the symptom might not be there anymore. And the reality is we've got to get back to the cause. And... The cause to me is I'm not talking about digging up your childhood memory and trauma and past events and stuff like that. It's just understanding, well, here I am today in the here and now. I mean, right here, I can do one or two things. I can either move forwards, bearing in mind what I want to do with intent or move forwards based upon my learned behaviours, my values, my skills, my beliefs, which are all historic because we can't believe something which hasn't happened yet that becomes a hope, doesn't it? And faith, um, you know, a, a, a real inner built belief structure comes from our experiences, what's happened before. So I'm in a very long winded way, getting back to answering your question about, you know, how we move forwards and, and let go of stuff in the past. And I think that's the answer really, is that it's being I don't want to say brave, it's the wrong word, but I'm going to use brave because it's the best word I can think of at the moment. But it's being brave enough to let go of the past, just let it go, um, and also to let go of the fear 
of the future because we don't know it hasn't happened yet has it um and just really uh, enjoy the here and now so what we've got right now and how can i impact where i want to go in life now without resulting back to what i've always done because if we always do you know the saying if we always do what we've always done we're always we've always won and 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 that's so great believe in me so hopefully i've gone a very long-winded way around answering your question about the way of moving forwards and dealing with past events and past traumas and beliefs is to accept them you know you and me mark we wouldn't be here today if we hadn't made the decisions that we've made based upon our emotional beliefs values and decisions would we? we just wouldn't be here and and we need to look at that and think okay well for good or for bad we've all got skeletons in our cupboard we've all made mistakes we all look back and go ouch did I really say that did I really feel that did I really mean that but it doesn't really matter and and I don't mean in a disrespectful way it doesn't matter what I mean is we can't change it and because we can't change it let it go just we accept it for good or for bad we accept it you know, we suffer remorse if necessary if we've done something you know pretty bad, but we just accept it. It's who we are and where we are right now and crack on with life and make life what we want to be uh, as opposed to how we need it to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, regret's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I'm like uh, fascinated by the fact that um, there's parts of our life where we just realise that, if we're going to have regret, it's going to be based on the fact that it's the things that I didn't, it's the things I didn't do rather than the things that I did. Yeah. You know, and for me, it's like, I'd rather go all in uh, and be left wanting than to have never gone all in, played it safe and never known. You know, so, <laughs> you know that's a, that's a personal choice, which brings more risk. Um, But I know even for me, I'm not so much afraid of being hurt because I find that being hurt just shows that you're human. And we talked yeah. a little bit about emotions and, you know, emotions are feedback, aren't they? They're, they're, yes. neither, they're neither good or bad, but they are telling us something. Yeah. Um, and we need to pay attention to those, but not allow them to, to rule us. And I know that you have a thought that, you know, that emotions are running our world. What, why do you think, why do you think that that is? Well, I, d- I don't think it's a personal view, Mark. I just think it's reality in right. that we are all emotional beings at the end mm. of the day. You know, we can go down the route to be or not to be, but it's that's what human beings are. It's to be, and to be requires an emotional investment to understand, appreciate, enthuse, uh, empathise, sympathise, all these things. If we remove emotions from who we are as a human being, we wouldn't exist because one of the key uh emotional factors is fear you know and and i know a lot of motivational people sort of like say well just feel the fear and do it anyway and all that kind of stuff but we mustn't forget that fear is the most um protective element to us as a species if we didn't have fear we'd be all jumping off cliffs thinking we were birds you know we have to have fear to stop us doing things but of course it's all in reality and it's all in the right dosage as well because so many people will be fearful of the future and and in comes anxiety because they're worried about what might happen they're worried about what might go wrong and I think that's when uh, emotions are ruling the roost you know it's when emotions are actually stopping us doing what we want to do because they're they're presenting themselves as this might go wrong whereas the words you used just now Mark I think are bang on you know emotions are 
they're, they're signals that's a way of saying guys just wake up this is what you know has happened could happen where we're going and we have to think of emotions as an amplification of reality and what i mean by that is I'll give you an example. Um, one of the things I talk about is anger. You know, what is anger? Because I, I, I grew up in an environment. My dad was always angry, and I couldn't understand it when I was growing up. But now I do, and I understand that anger is really when it's an emotion that comes into play when something stops you getting what you want. Now, I don't mean from a spoiled brat point of view, you know, from a child, but that's what reality is. That's what anger is. Anger is an emotion which gives us additional strength to break through to achieve what we want to achieve if something gets in our way. Uh, and that's why we get angry when someone carves us up on the road, isn't it? We go around a roundabout, someone carves us up and tries to nick our space. It's because if we bolt it right down to basics, back to the cause again, not the symptom, back to the cause, it's because someone's in our way. <laughs> you know, they're stopping us doing getting where we want to go. Um, but the key to all of this is that we also know that anger, when anger rules the roost, it can be terrifying. It can also be so disabling as well, because it takes away your ability to be passionate and focused uh, and objective because it just gets in the way and it takes over. We know the term red mist, but also, and this is the one thing that I really focus on when I'm doing my talks and presentations and workshops um, with people it's about understanding where emotions come from do they come from the conscious mind or do they come from the unconscious mind mm -hmm. uh, and the thing that i've learned is actually it's unconscious uh, emotions are based upon our beliefs our habits our values etc etc and it all comes from that part of the brain the unconscious part of the mind which tends to run 95 percent of our life it, it reacts and deals with situations based upon habit and it's, it's based upon habit as what's happened before to us or we've observed with other people. So we, we go through life, and, and I say this is terrible to say, but it's true that most people spend 95% of their life unaware of what the unconscious mind is thinking or the, decision, or the decisions that it's making because it's unconscious. And it's only when we use techniques like hypnosis or or, or going into um, theta, you know, the element of almost relaxation before sleep, that when I work with clients, I can actually talk. And this sounds a bit woo-woo, but it's true. There's methods and, and strategies to communicate with the unconscious mind with somebody without their conscious mind interfering, saying, no, this is a load of old fluff, you know, and, and becoming judgmental and, and stopping that message getting through. But it's... If we were to live life in a conscious mode all the time, sure, we'd make the right decisions, but God, wouldn't it be tiring? Because <laughs> we'd have to be consciously processing every single thing around us. And we also know scientifically proven that the unconscious mind can process one million times the amount of data per second compared to the conscious mind. So when you and me, you know, when we walk into a room, We'll consciously remember maybe the colour of the walls. I don't know. We might even not remember that, to be honest. But we'll consciously pick up something. But unconsciously, we know where the floor was. We know where there's a gradient. We know it's flat. We know where there was a threat. We know there was some, where there was somebody outside about to come into the meeting. We're unconsciously, we take in all this information. And I discuss about this in my book. I, I give a visual representation of the picture of a hot air balloon as being a million pixels and one dot on the page being one pixel representing our conscious ability to take in what's around us and i think that's really important is to understand 
consciously what we do and what we feel and use that conscious interaction or intervention into thinking, hang on a minute, let's have a bit of intent here. Where am I going in life? Because the chances are I'm running on autopilot. Mm. Why do you believe our thinking then determines the journey we take in life? I think that once somebody makes a decision that like they're not worthy of love, then then, for example, their journey would take them on where they're absolutely emotionally unavailable to others because their belief is they're not they're not worthy of love. So how, how does that how does that work? And then how do we change our thinking so our journey does end up in a different in a different place? Do you know what? That's such a fantastic question. Um, and I, what I love about this is that I've got no idea what questions you're going to ask me. So it really all is on the fly. But I actually, this is one of my favourite topics. And, and I'm going to go right back to basics now. I'm going to take us back to cavemen. right? And, and in as a human being, the most basic thing we want as a human being is to belong. You know, the, the thing that stresses a human being, the quickest you'll know this, is solitary confinement you know, in isolation. The quickest way to, to completely stress out a human being is put them into isolation so they can't communicate with anybody else. And we go bananas. Well, that just send us, sends us over the, the, the edge. So we've got this inbuilt, completely hardwired need to long to belong. We need to belong to a tribe. We need to belong to something. And that's evident every day. Football teams, fashion, car brands, uh, Apple, or PC, you know, whatever it is, we long to belong to a tribe because when we're within that tribe, I mean, and we can belong to thousands of different tribes, by the way. And when we belong to that tribe, we know the boundaries, we know the settings, we know how it operates. And also, most importantly, we feel accepted because we're part of the tribe. So the flip side, Mark, because I love talking about the flip side all the time. It's like symptoms, cause. So let's talk about the flip side of being accepted. Well, of course, the flip side of being accepted is the fear of rejection. So constantly, because we're a fear-based species and because we long to belong, we spend all our life, and I remember it, you know, in, in, in the younger days when we used to go out clubbing, what have you, it's going and talking to a girl, well, I don't want to get, I might get rejected. <laughs> and it's that inbuilt fear right back from day one, we have this fear of rejection. So because we have this fear of rejection, that then becomes learnt behaviours, doesn't it? We see the guy that always seems to go out and just talk to people with no fear about being rejected whatsoever. And that's probably because he's not really accepted that being rejected is a problem. He, he probably looks at the flip side of the coin, was well, the more no's I'll get, I'll end up with a yes. Whereas the people that tend to be on the fearful side that have been hurt, and this is what, what leads into answering your question, when we've been hurt by rejection, we kind of get accustomed to that and think, well, I didn't like that hurt. Don't want to do that again. I'm not going to put myself in that place again of getting hurt, getting rejected. So we have a learnt behaviour. We now have a learnt behaviour in our processing of our mind, you know, and we, when we when we get into that rejection, it hurts, doesn't it? It really, really hurts in our gut, in our heart or whatever. So because it's emotionally embellished, which is an amplification, as I mentioned earlier on, inside our mind, when we go through an action and it becomes emotionally embellished that don't do this because it hurts, that gets saved as a learnt behaviour, as a habit. It gets saved to the hippocampus as an emotional driven memory that we recall automatically when faced with a similar event again. So picking up on your exact um, uh, example, if we've been hurt in love, you know, and, and we've been rejected and we don't think we're worthy because of what happened to us in the past, 
our unconscious mind, which we now know is in charge 95% of the time, and it can process a million times more data than the conscious mind, when we get into that, that mode of potentially exchanging love, warmth, feelings, affection with somebody, our unconscious mind is going straight into the defense mechanism going, hang on a minute, I've been hurt before, I've been messed around before, I'm not going to tolerate this. And it will just put up that barrier straight away because it saves you being hurt. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it and it's interesting because I think once you get used to a certain way of experiencing life, it's funny how you then keep attracting those people that are the ones that all reject you. And and then making that shift by actually saying, you know, I am worthy of love, you know, and actually that's interesting, isn't it? How sometimes if we've got a series of relationships in the past where somebody hasn't been emotionally available and then we keep seeming to attract people that are not emotionally available, we need to we need to do a bit of work yes, around that, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah, and this takes us, and I have to be very careful, Mark, because I've studied the law of attraction. I've studied the secret. I've studied those guys, you know, right back to Charles Hannell, who was the author of the um, 24... Um, secrets, which, which was the foundation of Rhonda Byrne's book, The Secret, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I know a lot of people go, no, this is a load of fluff and woo-woo, this law of attraction stuff. But if we break it down to reality, and what I did, I took that information, I studied the likes of Einstein and all the greats, and I broke it down to quantum physics and quantum entanglement. And what that really means, why is it that when we go to do things, we all seem to attract the same thing? We end up with the same girlfriend, the same job, the same things going wrong, the same kind of house, the same... And it's because of our learned behavior, because attract and likes attract or, you know, and, and, and whatever we do attracts the same. So bearing in mind that unconsciously, the unconscious mind is in control 95% of the time, we'll be making decisions and processing energy and processing those outbound thoughts of saying, I don't want to be messed around, but actually we'll end up <laughs> presenting that unconscious message to say, no, I don't want to be messed around, but we end up getting messed around because that's what we're thinking. We're kind of preempting I'm going to get messed around. So we end up being over defensive. And actually that's what we end up attracting. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like, I know so many people said to me, and why do I always end up with the same kind of boyfriend? Well, it's because you're the same kind of girlfriend. <laughs> you need to change who you are to attract a different person. And, and, and we do. We attract what, we, what we're what used to and what we're comfortable unconsciously with, even though that comfort might not be the best thing for us. Mm, yes, fascinating. How, how does the mind then, Dr. Ant, really work? And, and why does it sometimes not help us by stirring up, you know, past traumas? We all have that trigger response that recall um how, how does the mind work and, and and how do we actually settle that and move beyond that so that we are telling ourselves a different story and then the past like it's almost like speak from your scars not your wounds because wounds is you know infected it's raw it's yeah yeah, yeah. Sleeping, whereas a scar is just a just a memory of what of what was you're great i you know what we have to do is take on board <clears throat> the to move forwards and, and to change, because that's what we're talking about really, isn't it? It's about changing the way we think to change the outcome. I mean, I trademarked a little phrase, um, which is what you think you become. 
And if 95% of the time we're just thinking unconsciously, we're not really aware of what we're thinking, we're thinking the stuff we've always thought, so the outcome is always going to be the same. So all we have to do is change our thinking. And we can do that. But first of all, the key to it is intent. It's about actually, well, let's just push a pause button on life. Let's push a pause button on emotions. Let's just do some real raw awareness of who I am where I've been, okay, and I accept that, that's what's brought me to here today, but where do I want to go? And, and to explain how that works with the mind, this is the way I explain it. We need to think of the mind, and this is really quite unemotional, quite logical, but I think people get this. If we look at the mind as the unconscious and the conscious, we need to think of the unconscious mind as the hardware of your laptop. You know, and it will always do whatever you put in. And if the program, if you're running Excel on your laptop and the program, you put two and two, it will show four. However, if someone's had some fun with some programming and I put in there, whenever it says two and two, show five, not four. What will happen, of course, as soon as you're going to Excel, but two plus two, it will show five because that's the programming. And the program is completely unemotional as far as the actual raw programming of what comes out. So whatever we put in, it will always spit out based upon its programming. And we need to think of us as we're programmed individuals. Now, this sounds like it's a little bit you know, robotic and all that kind of stuff, but it's just an easy way of understanding it, that we are what we think based upon our learnt behaviours, our learnt programming and our learnt beliefs. So if we change that programming, behaviours and beliefs, we'll then think differently. And that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what evolution is, isn't it? It's, mm. You know, I don't want to get into the terms talking about racism and sexism and all those other isms they are around there, but they all start from a basis of a certain belief structure. And then as other people have different belief structures, from a to b then there becomes that conflict well you know you don't understand me because you're thinking this well that's right because that's their programming and, and that only changes with time when people then accept change and then move on and and accept a different way of thinking and that's what this is all about to answer your question very uh, succinctly is that to change the way we become we need to change the way we think because what we think we become mm. yeah so and and it's also the whole uh mind body steer as well that our that our that our thoughts produce a feeling so if if we want our feelings our like emotions like we talked about at the start then we have to change our thoughts exactly you're bang on and and when i work with people and again this sounds a little bit woo woo mark but i think the listeners will get this is that we need to think that we've got two minds and I don't mean a good mind and a bad mind. I mean, we have a physical mind and then we have a non-physical mind. And, and the non-physical mind, I just want to park to the side for the moment. But the physical mind is what we think of as our brain. You know, it's the hardware. It's the thing It's the thing that we can put into a wheelbarrow. <laughs> you know, it's physical. And the same as our body, we can put into a wheelbarrow. So we can relate to this is a physical thing. But actually our non-physical mind because then we go into the realms of quantum entanglement and all that kind of stuff. And what is the higher level of consciousness? And that's probably a conversation for a whole other day. That's the connectivity, which is actually rises above the physical mind. Because we all have it, don't we? We all have it when we have a premonition that someone's going to ring us and we get a phone call. Where does that come from? You know, and there are all these answers on, to these questions. And there's so many variable answers. But th there is a certain connectivity because 
the bottom line also is that we as human beings, Mark, you and I sit here on this call, we're not really what we see. What we really are is energy. We're collections of energy. Each of us is around 70 trillion cells of energy. And it's that energy forming into fat, muscle, tissue, teeth, bones, or whatever it may be. But where does that messaging come from? Well, it comes from within. It comes from our thoughts. It comes from our ability. So, and it becomes, you know, we've got this non-physical and physical mind. So we have to th be really aware of what am I thinking? Because I've seen clients get taller. Now, I don't mean physically taller, but actually they do become physically taller because when I finish working with my clients and showing them how they think, they become stronger. They stand more upright. They, and I had one client and he was almost like a curled up, baby when he first come to see me you know and when I finished with him I stood up and I gave him a man hug and I went mate you're really tall <laughs> because we just hadn't seen that before because he'd grown physically in confidence and he's grown in his ability and that manifested in him standing straighter and feeling better about himself and that all comes from the mind nowhere else yeah the mind is is definitely fascinating and, and we have to take care of it and that's why this such a big focus on on mental health now you've got an imminent book release called quick wake up the pilot what can we really expect uh from this book dr Anne? and who should be reading it <laughs> well do you know quick wake up the pilot it, it can it's a waltz and all story uh, and what it is it's not all about me it's actually about the reader and in fact when people start to read it the first opening sentence says this book is all about you isn't it because it is um, uh, and they may be expecting to read about the author and read about science but it's actually about the reader because otherwise they wouldn't have bought it if they wasn't interested in changing for something for themselves so what quick wake up the pilot is is i'll just explain very briefly that i've been in business all my life mark you know and i ended up in that very shall we say western society successful place but I learned actually that isn't where happiness belongs. I learned that having all this money and cars and boats and family and all that stuff which we think we should have isn't the only cause of happiness. Actually, happiness is within. It's not without. It's on the inside, not the outside. So and I ended up in a very, very dark place back in 2015 where I was very I was 30 seconds away, Mark, from no longer being on this planet. Now, and I, the story is all in my book, and I explain about what led up to that, how I dealt with it, how I overcome it as well. And then since that journey back in 2015, I woke up and I had a very close shape. I mean, 30 seconds away. And then I thought, whoa, no, I need to change this because the way I was thinking was taking me to a, an exit stage left, which would have been no good for anybody else. But I didn't realize at the time. And that, but that's all explained in the book. So what I did back then, you know, and I'll say now, I'm 57 years old. And I would say it's never, ever too late to do something about whatever you want to do now, because now is the only reality. It doesn't matter the years because we don't know how long's left in our sand timer. It's all about now. So I started in my now back in 2015. I thought, I'm going to do something about this. So I went back to school, basically. I got my PhD. I needed to learn to understand about why human beings feel the way we feel, do the things we do and what we can do about it. That was my core, those three things. And this book is all about that. It proves that I am authorized to better talk about the things I talk about, which very, very much so talked about mental health, you know, and I talk about those 
triggers of suicide and stuff like that, because that's the reality. That's the reality of where I've come from that brings me to this place to say, who the heck is this Dr. Amplog? Why is he, now why should I listen to him? What's his point of authority? And that my point of authority is because I've been there, lived it, done it, survived it, and come out the other side. And as I've come out the other side, I've created a solution. And it's a solution to the question you asked me just now. It's about how we change the way we think to become who we want to become. And that solution is called switched on thinking. It's a CPD accredited solution. It's a training program that I developed. I, I had it CPD independently accredited as well. So this is a trained solution that takes people on a journey from where they are now to where they want to be. And it equips them all the way through that process so that they can become who they want to become by becoming aware of what and how to think. Sounds amazing. And the thing I love actually, uh, very often you shared, is just the the rawness of it. Because it is mine. Because the thing is, is like there's lots of books out there that are that are educational, right? But to be able to hit hit on education, information emotion and and reality for me that's like like books have a good skin but do they have a soul and and this this book sounds like it has soul because you've put you've put your vulnerability and, and the realness of your of your own journey which i think is so much needed and 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 welcomed so i'm glad that you wrote it thank you and i've got to say i i owe a lot of this to a fellow which you'll probably never even know about this and it's quite a funny little story and i'm going to tell you it'll take a minute just to tell you this story and this goes back to when i was first in business when i was about 20 and i was very naive and i went to the bank to look for a bank overdraft and this bank manager sat opposite the desk to me he was in his 50s he's probably passed away now god bless him he's in his 50s quite a rotund guy telling me how to run a business And I sat there and I thought to myself, what do you know about running a business? Because actually what you're really focused on is getting your retirement, getting your pension. You've never taken a risk. You've never put your house on the line. You've never put your reputation on the line. You've not put anything personal on the line, but you're telling me how I should run my business. (laughs) And I just come out of the meeting thinking, nah. No, that from this point onwards, I'm only talking and listening to people who have been there and done it. <laughs> so thank you, Mr. Barclays. <laughs> yeah, that, that reminds me of what Greg Reed says. He says, seek counsel and not opinion. Opinion, yeah. this is what I would do if I were you. Counsel is, this is what I did do when I was in. And that's what we want. We need counsel. We do. Absolutely. Dr. Ann, this has been really good. How do people find out more about you? How do they interact with you? How do they find out about your book? Well, the book is out for release of me on Amazon, so they can search for Quick Wake Up the Pilot. My website is uh, dr-ant.co.uk. Um, I'm all over social media, so you can find me on LinkedIn, and again, under Dr. Ant uh, and Facebook uh, and all those social media channels. I guess it's just a case of Google, isn't it? Dr. Ant, and you'll find me. Beautiful. Well, Dr. Ant, thanks for joining me. It's been really, really good. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Mark Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.